The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that wants to prove it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Vodafone Zone. Please welcome your host, Simon Pound. In the wake of the Christchurch earthquake, a local gardener was given a task by her koro. Her grandfather asked her to keep a potato variety going that had been grown by the family for more than a hundred years. The deep connection to growing kai and the way it provides and protects kicked off a renewed interest in this for Jade Timapara in the power of gardens to anchor and support families. In addition to being an acclaimed gardener who had placed at Ellerslie Flower Show, Jade had been working with families doing it tough and thought she could bring the worlds together. She launched Hand Over a Hundy, a charity concept where a family is given a hundred bucks for supplies, seeds and seedlings, and a mentor to help them grow seasonal veggies. The idea being that they then make enough surplus that they can sell that to create another hundred dollars of seed funding and introduce the idea to another family. They've changed lives up and down the country, and the very shape of Christchurch after the earthquakes has changed, where gardening has become a kind of radical urban reclamation. Today, Jade is co-founder of Kakano Cafe and Cooking School and Garden, all with a Māori kaupapa, and team that is spreading the messages of good health and nutrition and connection with the earth through the community. Jade joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for coming along. Oh, kia ora, lovely to be um, on today with you, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, so tell me how you first got into uh, gardening and designing gardens. Yeah, sure. So um, I was raised by two very wonderful grandfathers who were right into food growing. Um, as a as a young person, as a perhaps two or three year old, I had my first experiences out in the garden, um, eating peas actually, and um, I always remember that time as um, something that was really cool, a really cool connection between me and my grandfathers. And I guess I didn't really put that into use, or you know, the knowledge that had been imparted into me uh, until a bit later on, until I started having children and. Um, I realised that I wanted to give them, uh, you know, the best of what I could provide and gardening came up again and I started relearning how to do all the things that um, had naturally been passed on to me. So I've been gardening now for, well, I could say nearly all of my life, but um, providing for my own family for about 15 years and I still get a buzz every single day like it's the first time I've ever experienced it, so it's great. It's a kind of magic, isn't it, the ability to, to grow things and and also a kind of amazing power to be able to provide? Oh, definitely. And I think um, 
you know, being able to have your, your children involved with it and and them actually seeing something sprout and the growth process and then the harvesting and the eating and, you know, they're just as proud of creating something alongside you as well and um, it is it is really magical and it's such a special time of being able to connect with your family and bond while that whole process is going on. So it's, um, yeah, definitely a, a process that gives everyone a sense of um, wonder and definitely a sense of the impact that they have on the environment because they have to, you know, play the waiting game and wait for things to sprout. So it's good fun. What was it about that experience of doing that with your family that led you to to come up with the charity idea? What what was the thing that made you start Hand Over a Hundy? Yeah, so um, my family at that time, I was um, we we're on one income, and we had bought a property and. Uh, it was quite a large property. It had a couple of fruit trees already in it, and I really wanted to turn most of it into food growing just because I knew how much fresher everything tasted and how much better everything tasted. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to be able to utilize my own land, and so I did. And what I realized, you know, really soon into planting a really large vegetable garden was how much money I was saving. And I had worked um, in my community, I was in Ashburton then, in Mid-Canterbury. I had been working with lots of solo parents and, um, you know, the same theme kept coming up of food availability and affordability. And um, I knew what I was saving with my then four children was a huge chunk of people's, you know, food budgets or just budgets in general. And so I started... Um, looking around to see where we could get resources from and um, who would be interested in helping to teach young families how to to grow food at home. And so the concept for Hand Over a Hundy um, was birthed in a very organic way with uh, all of the fundamentals that you need for a good garden, land, people, mentors and community. Tell me about the response that you got from the first people that you took the idea to when you were saying, hey, I grow veggies, maybe I could help you. Yeah, so we had 10 really different families um, that we sort of piloted uh, the first experience off. We had a really amazing um, community. We put out what we were doing through the local uh, newspaper and, and said, you know, this is what we're wanting to do. This is some of the goals that we have, you know, to save money, to reconnect our community, to have a bit of, um, you know, different difference in culture and um, lifestyles and, and just really mush everyone together. Uh, we had 10 really different families. Some were, um, some had lots of children, some had one child, there was two incomes, there was one income, there was people without families, there was different cultural needs and everyone was really different. But the, the wonderful thing about that experience was that we got to um, – you know, really diverse ourselves in, in our community and see what the needs are. For example, one family had six children and they spent $50 on seed potatoes for that year. And the seed potatoes um, provided six months worth of potatoes for that family, which is, you know, a huge saving yeah, wow. when you have that many mouths to feed. And, um, you know, some, we had a, um, another family that were from Nigeria 
and we're finding it quite hard to fit into that community at that time. Um, obviously, different climate, different foods, different cultural, you know, every experience was, was very brand new to them. And we knitted them into our wee group of gardeners and um, they grew $100 worth of tomatoes and chilies and peppers. <laughs> and I said, whoa, do you not, you know, do you not like growing anything else? And they said, no, this is the staple of everything that we eat. And I tell you, it was like walking into a forest of tomatoes in that place. It was really interesting. And I guess that experience of them taught me that, um, you know, we are all really different in, in how we eat and and what those things are that are important to us. And that was part of their cultural, um, you know, integration, I, I, I suppose, with our country is that they still really like to eat their own food. So that was, yeah, that was a really awesome experience seeing what everyone and how everyone took to um, this new project in their own way. And with the mentors playing the roles, the kind of experienced gardeners, they were playing the roles of your koro uh, in, in chatting uh, with people, teaching them, introducing them to the, the ways of growing. What kind of linkages did that make in the community? Yeah, I mean, that was such a special and so is, um, you know, something that I'm really proud of being able to help facilitate is uh, the intergenerational transference of knowledge and um, experience. And so, you know, like we, we would match one family up with one older mentor and, you know, three or four years later, they're still visiting each other and they still have this commonality that is um, really precious. But I guess, like, you know, I've seen so many, in, in that time I've seen so many relationships blooming and it was not just the gardening, you know, it was like um, one of our gardeners taught one of her families how to bottle things and preserve things and, um, you know, just that real interchange of family, like they become each other's family. And um, I guess that's, you know, our, our society is so fast-paced now and and we just sometimes forget about our elders, that they have got such amazing knowledge to be able to impart, but also that they really need, you know, a younger um, energy around them as well and so it's it's just such a beautiful exchange. T- tell me about how you then took the idea and rolled it out in more places around New Zealand and what did you have to, you know, were, were you surprised by the um, support and the success uh, that people you, you know, people loved it and wanted to get behind it? Yeah, I mean I think it's just such a uh, you know, all of us eat you know, that's a, that's a good starting point. Um, and I think it's, it was such a resurgence of um, getting back to basics at that time. And, you know, it was semi-fashionable semi at that time as well, um, which I, you know, always laugh about now because we've obviously been growing food for thousands of years. So um, <laughs> it's, it's funny how things come in, in fads and change. But, um, you know, I think that just the significance and importance of people looking at, into their own personal nutrition and what they're feeding their families. Like, you know, it, it was an easy sell, basically. It was, um, it was easy to get people involved because they, you know, we live in the most amazing country and we're able to do this. And I think sometimes people just need a bit of a kick up the butt to appreciate what they have and um, the tools to be able to do so and just a a great idea. And, you know, great ideas are just small ones that just piece lots of people together and it just really worked well. And it's really uh, been um, 
a, a massive success in the you named um, Gardener of the Year, uh, runner-up for New Zealander of the Year. You've been able to to spread the message and and the co-papa behind it um, through through media, through through TEDx. How's that journey been for you? Was that um was that a, a new thing in your life? Um, having to become a spokesperson for for an idea. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was a bit of a um, you know I was just going about my daily life being a mother and um, wife and not you know not really um, prepared for all of this influx of attention that I I, I just had to do and um, you know like my, some of my first speaking engagements I was just absolutely scared to death because I'd never presented to people that way or but I knew that the message was so um, important to be able to get out on so many different platforms and I had the opportunity to be able to do so. So I, you know, just bit the bullet and um, learned how to, you know, I, I suppose put the message across in, in lots of different ways and then had opportunities to be able to um, to do that via the LSE Flower Show, which was such a fantastic, um, you know, step towards a, a whole different platform of, of, of people and um, to be able to get that message across. And to this day, I still have, you know, such a lot of um, feedback from, from that time as well. And I've, um, I've done three of those garden shows now, and it's always really interesting to talk to people in that particular realm of um, gardening about food and the importance of being able to incorporate that into beautiful, you know, display gardens and um, how they would, you know, perhaps, you know, conceptualise that at home with um, some of their landscaping ideas and obviously being able to speak at um, something amazing like TEDx and and have um, all of that, you know, those networks and, yeah, alumni of, of, of different people that you are always connected to because of those things has been phenomenal and, you know, it's carried on right throughout my whole career and to where I currently am today. It was really fascinating in that TEDx talk, the way that you linked uh, the gardening and um, pe- giving people the tools to be able to support themselves to kind of mm. resilience in the face of all the change in the world. And I wonder, you know, what was the role of the Christchurch earthquake and, you, you know, that was such a huge, huge period of change that um, Christchurch and the surrounding regions have been through in, in kind of yeah. setting the scene for this? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I've, I've spoken about it before, how um, when the February 22nd earthquake hit, um, you know, lots of people fled from Christchurch. And I was living in Ashburton, which is an hour south of there um, at that time. And um, obviously it was, you know, a very hugely traumatic experience, everyone that was here and in the surrounding areas. And um, I don't know, about four o'clock that afternoon after that had happened, I sent my um, ex-husband out to go and get a few things from the supermarket and he came home and he said, there's nothing there. He said, the supermarket's been totally wiped out and he said, and there's no petrol in the whole entire town. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, it's, it, there's nothing there. Like There's like hundreds of people parked outside the supermarkets and the petrol station. They've left Christchurch after everything that's happened today. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, what what would we do in a time like that where we actually had no resources? And I went outside and I was contemplating, you know, how 
huge that that day was for everyone and um, I just looked out into my garden and outside my backyard and I just thought I could live off my garden for the next three months. I wouldn't even actually really need to go to the supermarket and I thought, you know, this is something that really is um, an important part of building resilience back into into communities again and what we were able to do, you know, when our town kicked off with all of the donations and things is to supply fresh fruit and veggies up to the people in Christchurch and parcels. So, you know, it's uh, I, I guess you don't really plan um, the changing of, um, well, obviously for us, the earth happening at that time or, you know, we don't really um, think about planning in different climate events and, you know, all of these things into our daily lives because we've always been able to just go and get food from somewhere and go and get resources from somewhere. But um, the significance of that really taught me that, um, you know, there's there's no security in a supermarket that's stocked for two days. And um, so, you know, obviously my message still to this day is to make sure that you have something at home, um, not out of fear, but just out of preparedness because you just never know when you're going to need it or use it or share it. And the other side of that out of uh, Christchurch is that sharing, isn't it? And that um, in the new, um, the, the kind of reclaimed spaces of the city where uh, the buildings were taken down and then all these wonderful gardens were springing up, these like shared kind of urban guerrilla activities when it wasn't allowed and then uh, the gardens <laughs> that were allowed. And that was such a cool way to, to kind of re-knit that community together. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, we're, we're so fortunate in Christchurch right now to be able to still continue that on. And if we look, you know, worldwide at um, different places like Geneva and even America, um, I have a friend over there who's called the Gangster Gardener, Ron Finlay, and he's springing up gardens in, you know, South LA and Compton, like in, like, you know, places that are really um poverty stricken and I think you know we're, we're you know the community workers that work with people are seeing the significance and the importance of being able to really get together over using the land and the earth and resources and I mean you know Christchurch is such a wonderful place to, for that to happen at the moment we've just got food growing everywhere and obviously we've got a red zoned area you know where thousands of houses were which have now been taken away but there's like foraging trips that you can do through there for all the old fruit trees and and different things that are growing and it's such a you know the, the land and the garden is such a level it's no respecter of people it brings everyone together and I think that's just why it's such an exciting journey to still be on now um, giving people that experience and being able to share um, food and meals you know right in the city um, is yeah it's just so cool it's just such a great um, way of us being able to extend our Manaki Tanga hospitality. Yeah, t- tell me about Kakano Cafe and uh, the cooking school and the the gardens and how that kind of brings and the cafe and how that's bringing yeah. all of these all of these threads together. Yeah, so we um, we had an opportunity uh, nearly three years ago to um, look at um, perhaps the uh, you know the the work that I had been doing leading into what we're currently doing now. 
uh, with food and, you know, seed saving and food resilience and education. And I thought, you know, how could I kind of package all of this in one and keep telling the story so that everyone who, you know, experiences any part of this is always going home or, you know, back to their country or or wherever um, with some knowledge of New Zealand and um, our very strong connections and significance that we have with the land. And so I thought, well, I might come up with a concept of doing a cafe um, and basing that around a kaupapa Māori um, menu. So we have, so it's very indigenous, the food that we are serving, uh, but we also can trace the seed. Um, so kākano means seed, and I thought it was a, a great way of being able to start something. You know, you've got to start it somewhere, and when you're a gardener, you kind of start it from seed, so that's always a good place to start. Um, so we're a cafe and a cookery school. We do cooking lessons um, in the evenings and at certain times of the year. We do lots of foraging for resources um, that can be traced um, to our local area, we're organic food. We um, have got quite a different kind of menu. We have lots of people from all over the world coming and trying a um, kind of a revamped version of Māori cuisine. Um, we have 280 square metres of organic gardens um, on our site, which uh, come from heritage seeds, so seeds that have been saved um hundreds of years from our ancestors or, you know, our, our settlers when they came in, um, which most of them have come from the Kuanga Institute, which is our largest seed-saving bank in the, in the southern hemisphere. Um, and basically we just do workshops about food, gardening, education. We have lots of kids come in, hang out, and I teach them, like, lunchbox ideas and how to forage for different things and just... Um, yeah, every, every part of how we would normally see food, we have some we have something to um, be able to share and educate on. So it's, it's a dream job, really, for, for a gardener like me. It's, it's wonderful. And, um, yeah, our food is um, pretty unique and pretty delicious. And just having um, people experience that is, is really nice because it makes you really proud of where we live and the resources that we have. And keeping those traditions alive, like quite literally in the case of the potato that uh, has been in your family. And is that is that something that figures in these <laughs> gardens and appears on these menus? Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a bit of a story, this one. My, um, my lovely grandfather, he actually lives in, in Christchurch. And um, a couple of years before the earthquakes happened, he came down and eyed up my backyard and told me that it was um, huge and that I should just rip up the whole entire grass and plant potatoes. And of course, you know, I had children and I just thought it was ludicrous to even think about doing something like that. And he said, oh, this is huge. You know, he's got a really inner city um, living situation in Christchurch and in one of our very main streets, um, very close to the city. And so he utilises every single space that he has available there to grow food and I said oh look I'm too young to grow potatoes you know it's not on my radar just yet and um, then he said okay well I'm going out to the car and he came back in and pulled out a bag of potatoes and he said um, how about you grow these potatoes and I said no no thanks and he said okay look 
I have to tell you a story. He said, these are your great, 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 great grandmothers. She fed my mother. My mother fed us. Um, if you don't grow these potatoes, um, then the lion's going to die with, with me. And so he put the guilt trip on me big time. Um, he is also has seven sons and none of them are gardeners. And he knew that the only way of those potatoes still living was going to be through me. So I reluctantly took them. They take out 110 days to grow because they're on the phone nearly every day for 110 days. <laughs> and um, it was it was such a cool experience to, you know, be constantly talking to him. And he'd ring me up and he goes, you know, have you watered your potatoes? Are they looking dry? And I was like, this is actually such a pain. But, you know, I'll endure it for another 75 days. It's okay. Um, by the end of that time, um, I told him that I was going to be harvesting them, and he said, oh, you're two weeks too late. They're going to be really crappy looking. And I and I just said, oh, look, you know, come down, pull the damn potatoes out, and um, we're out in the garden, and they were huge, and his crop was really crap that year. And he's like, oh, my goodness, how how could they be so big? And, um, and I said, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, I've been watching them so seriously to make sure that they don't die because you know I couldn't I couldn't have that happen on my watch and um, I pulled them out and I handed them to him and he goes you know it was really emotional and he just said I'm just so proud that you've been able to do this and um, I'm so proud that you've you know this is the last thing that my dad had he said you know when he passed away I took nothing from his house I just took his seed potatoes and I seen you know the really proud moment that we had Anyway, fast forward a couple of years, um, and his garden got obliviated by the earthquakes, and you know he had lots of liquefaction and um, lots of damage to his soil, and um, you know every time it would rain, he had drainage issues, and you know that that had continued for a few years, and I was able to give him back his seed potatoes that he lost, and um, I just seen the significance of actually how important seed saving is. But especially when you have a whakapapa and, a, you know, a history like that that's actually from your own family. So, it's, yeah, it's it kind of made me go a bit potato crazy for a while. I had 16 varieties. I was I was planting at one time. Uh, I've settled down now, but um, I still grow those potatoes to this day that have come from there. And, and, you know, I'll be able to share that story with my children and, share those that particular line of seed with my children and, and just um, keep that as something really special that we've you know that we've been able to have from my grandfather. That's such a cool story and so cool that that your organization and, and that the people working with you, you're playing Koro to a whole lot of other families that may not have may have lost lost those links. I mean it's yeah. it's the yeah, um, totally. and, and you must get you you know um asked often for advice, you know, having um made these dreams into uh, a reality and a really cool thing in, in your city. You know, do yeah. you, what kind of advice do you give to young uh well well to people thinking of like starting their idea or following their dreams? Yeah, I mean I, I guess of um I've found what my life's work is and I'm really satisfied with that. Um, I guess my first um, cordial to, to people, my first um, talk would be maybe, um, you know, what what could you actually wake up for every day and, and really put everything into? And um, I think once you identify that, then you, you know, it, it kind of um, clouds everything else of possibilities, but still, but still, obviously, being really open to the fact that, um, 
you know, it, it can change along the way. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely just think just to follow exactly what you are wanting to do and put your time and your energy and your, you know, really invest in that and really invest in sharing that and sounding it out with people and seeing if that can be manifested into something that is, um, you know, going to one day be your livelihood. Um, I have five children and, um, you know, some of them are, one of them's 18 and the next one down is 16. And I constantly say to them, you know, make sure that you pursue what you really want to do because that's where you will succeed. You'll succeed in, in, in building something um, of yourself. And if you share that with others and they get um, the blessing of being able to learn something or grow through that, then, you know, even better. So um, give it a go, really, is, is, is my advice. I mean, I was just a humble gardener at home feeding my kids and you know I've had the most amazing experiences and now I'm filming my own TV show and um, all about that and you know running a a wonderful business that um, keeps me um, in you know in in what I choose to do so yeah you just never know but I mean if you if you start out by gardening I think just get your hands dirty first and then work from there. Uh, that's so cool. Hey, thank you so much, Jade Timapara, for coming on and telling the story of Kakano uh, Cafe, Cookery School and Garden, uh, which you can find. Um, you can find out more online, uh, but also if you're ever visiting the area, they should drop in, eh? Hey? Yeah, totally. Come in and see us and um, you just never know what you'll go home with. Maybe some potatoes. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story today. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome, Simon. Thank you. Thank you to Alice Liddell for producing. Uh, and thank you to Andrew Halson, who actually suggested that we catch up with Jade. If you have a suggestion, uh, please do share it with us on Twitter. It's at Simon underscore pound. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. All this was brought to your ears by the spin-off and Vodafone Zone. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.